Hi everybody, it's Derek, and this is Foreign Exchanges for December 1st, 2020. Hello once again. Thank you all for checking out the podcast and listening to this week's interview. Uh, I hope that those of you who celebrated Thanksgiving last week in the United States or wherever you may be around the world, I hope you had a good holiday. Uh, And I hope all of you, whether you celebrated Thanksgiving or not, uh, are doing well. Again, uh, thanks for checking out the show. If you like this interview, you want to listen to more interviews like this or uh, read more about international affairs and U.S. foreign policy, you can check out Foreign Exchanges at Substack, fx.substack.com. Join our free email list uh, and you'll get uh, all of these interviews and uh, more uh, delivered straight to your inbox a few times a week. Uh, Or become a subscriber, uh, unlock even more material uh, and help support the podcast and the newsletter and make sure that I can continue to do this kind of thing. Uh, This week, I'm very excited to uh, welcome back to the program uh, Terry Ostabo. Uh, He was on uh, a few months back to discuss Ethiopia, and there have been certainly some events uh, since since he was on uh, that we need to get into. Uh, Terry is the chair of the Department of Religion and associate professor at the Center for African Studies and the Department of Religion at the University of Florida. He's the founding director of the University of Florida's Center for Global Islamic Studies. Uh, he received his PhD in the history of religion from Stockholm University. Uh, he, his research interests include Islam in contemporary Ethiopia, Islam, politics, and Islamic reformism in Ethiopia and in the Horn of Africa more generally, ethnicity and religion, and Salafism in Africa. Uh, he has a book, uh, which the last time I spoke with him uh, earlier this year was only uh forthcoming, but has now been published, I think, uh, unless there's been some kind of delay, and he can uh, tell us all about that, I guess. Uh, It's called Islam, Ethnicity, and Conflict in Ethiopia. Um, Obviously, the last time Terry was here, we talked about uh, Abi Ahmed's uh, movement away from uh, the sort of ethnic federalism system that had defined Ethiopian politics uh, for a couple of decades now, uh, and the the changes that that Abi was trying to make uh, in Ethiopian politics and society already. Uh, at that time, uh, tensions between Abi and the Tigray People's Liberation Front were escalating. Uh, there was a good deal of unrest. Uh, the TPLF had um, made a move toward holding regional elections in defiance uh, of the Ethiopian government, of Abiy's government. Uh, and so things were looking precarious. Well, since then, uh, as those of you who have kept up with the newsletter of foreign exchanges uh, know, the situation has gotten much worse. Uh, it has spiraled into something approximately 
approximating a civil war, although uh, Abi and other Ethiopian officials have refused to call it that. Uh, but earlier this, uh, well, actually, it's not earlier this month, would be uh, at the beginning of last month now, since it's December 1st, Derek. Uh, <laughs> the Ethiopian government sent its defense forces into the Tigray region uh, to go after the TPLF. Um, just in the last couple of days, they uh, announced... Uh, that their military operation to capture or liberate or whatever you want to call it, depending on your perspective, the Tigray regional capital, uh, Mekele, uh, what has been concluded. Um, the Ethiopian government has sort of declared victory at this point, uh, but I don't think the TPLF is going anywhere. We'll ask Terry about that and see what uh, uh, see what he thinks. Uh, but that's where things stand. There's a great deal still uh, of concern about the possibility of a protracted conflict, despite the uh, progress that, that the Ethiopian military has made. Uh, there's still some concern about regional escalation. I'll ask Terry about all of these things. Uh, and we'll try to get in a little bit more uh, than we did last time uh, to this sort of background uh, of the TPLF, where it came from, and uh, the role that it's played uh, in Ethiopian politics over the, the past several decades, uh, leading up to its falling out with Abi and, and this most recent conflict. Uh, so that's our agenda. And uh, with that, I will get Terry on the line and we'll start the interview. Okay. Again, as I said in the introduction, I'm very pleased to be joined once again by Terry Ostevo of the University of Florida. Uh, Terry was on the program back in August to talk about uh, ethnic federalism in Ethiopian politics and the uh, changes, the the effort that Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has made to sort of uh, change that system. Even at that point, it was clear uh, he was running into a challenge from the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Uh, but that challenge has since become an open conflict uh, starting on uh, November 4th, it was early, early November. Uh, the Ethiopian Defense Forces moved into the Tigray region uh, in response to what they said was an attack by the TPLF uh, against an Ethiopian military installation. Uh, and there were, have been weeks of fighting. It's been sort of difficult to, to stay on top of exactly what's happening because there's been a media and communications blackout in the region. Um, but we're told the Ethiopian, Ethiopian officials now say that the fighting is over. They just completed an offensive to uh, seize the Tigray regional capital, Mekele. Um, whether that's going to mean an end to the fighting or not, I think is an open question, but certainly that's the message that's coming out of Ethiopia. Uh, Terry, uh, as I said, was on in August. Uh, some of the, what we're going to talk about here may be a little bit uh, of a recap of some of the things we talked about then, uh, but certainly uh, in light of what's happened since, uh, we'll have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, Terry, thank you for coming back on the, the podcast and uh, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me again. <laughs> Repeat guest. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, it, to sort of get into the conflict between the TPLF and Abi, uh, the it would the our our best kind of point of entry here is to talk a little bit about who the TPLF uh, are or what the TPLF is. So um, I wonder if you could take us through a little bit of, of that 
organization, political party, uh, that movement's kind of background and, and how it came to uh, eventually have a really preeminent uh, status in Ethiopian politics? Yeah, sure. So we got to go back to the to the early 1970s here. Um, and uh, the, the TPLF, what became the TPLF, grew uh, grew out of the, the uh, so-called student movement uh, that was uh, gaining ground in, in Addis Ababa. And also the Ethiopian student movement, um, which then were instrumental in overthrowing the imperial government and establishing um, what became the third government of the Ethiopian revolution in 1974. While the bulk of the movement, the student movement was, you know, talked about uh, land to the tiller, it was about, you know, uh, reversal of the feudal system and very much inspired in Marxist terms of, of um, of a, of a popular revolution, the TPLF or what became TPLF was inspired by the same ideas, yet argued that before any kind of, of class revolution or, or liberation of the, of the lower classes, the ethnic question had to be solved. So in other words, uh, they emphasized the liberation of different ethnic groups uh, in the country, the establishment of, of the of equality uh, between what they saw as suppressed ethnic groups. And uh, then they also realized or, or chose the path of armed resistance out of the Tigray region, which is then up in north towards the border of Israel. So around 1974, 1975, they launched um, uh, an armed resurgence. There were seven, there were seven individuals uh, starting this, which then rapidly or throughout the uh, 1970s and 80s uh, gained um, ground. Uh, obviously, the Dury government responded with um, their own uh, military force. But as they were able to establish connection with the Eritrean People's Liberation Front, uh, they were able then to liberate, or depend on what view you have, but to, to create uh, territorial space in Tigray. Um, and together then um, with the EPLF, the Eritrean Liberation, the People's Liberation Front, they moved towards Addis Ababa in, um, in, in 1991. And then on um, May 28 of 1991, they took control uh, over the capital together with with EPLF and with help of, of international uh, mediators, there were there were uh, conferences held, and the uh, Durk leader Megisto Haile Mariam fled the country, and then effectively uh, TPLF uh, established control over the country. Now. Um, before that, they uh, were able then to ally themselves or co-opt or create, again, depends on the perspective one has, um, a coalition that came to be known as the EPRDF, Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, which was a coalition between four main parties, uh, party from the South, Amhara Party, and the um, Oromo party, and then the TPLF. Um, and after a transition period, 
um, you know, a new constitution was written and, and ratified in, in 1995. And since then, the coalition remained in power uh, until then uh, it was abolished by the current prime minister, Abiy Ahmed, in late uh, 2019, uh, who then established the Prosperity Party. So, of course, when um, even if we had a formally uh, a coalition of four uh, equal parties on the paper, it was the TPLF who, who was the dominant actor throughout this period. Um, they called the shots um, everywhere, and uh, with Mele Zanawi, the late former prime minister who died in 2012, um, it was effectively um, a, a, a regime or a government that was um, was run by by the TPLF. Uh, key in, uh, positions in the intelligence apparatus. Uh, and other sectors were dominated by the TPLF uh, people, so they had effective control uh, over, over the country as such. And of course, this changed then uh, gradually in the, as Melisanoe passed away. Uh, then, with the new premier, Haile Mariam Dessalein was elected, and then he stepped down in, April, in, in 2018. And, that brought Abi Ahmed uh, to power, and that was the start of um, the increased marginalization of the TPLF. And now we have the situation we have today. So that was a short roundup of of, of history, but um, yeah. I I wanted to ask you um, if if you could talk just briefly uh, because it, it's become a factor uh, in this conflict uh, about the TPLF's relationship with Eritrea with the Eritrean Liberation Front because they worked together uh, sort of during the the civil war to some extent but that relationship then. Uh, became, I, I, it seems to me, quite quite bad uh, after the TPLF sort of took over Ethiopia and the conflict, you know, between Eritrea and Ethiopia was kind of uh, inherited, maybe in a sense, by the TPLF. Uh, but can you talk about sort of the dynamic in in that relationship? Right. So it's it's, a, it's a, like everything else complex, but um, uh, there is, of course, tight connections between the peoples of, of, on a different side of the border. I mean, there's ethnic, linguistic, religious connection between uh, people in, the, in, in Tigray and, and particularly the highlands of, um, of Eritrea. Now, um, the fact that uh, Eritrea was colonized uh, by the Italians meant that they saw themselves then as a result of, of the Italian investments in education and so on to be a little more advanced than the Tigrayans. Uh, so there was this kind of uh, an attitude from many of, I mean, among the Eritrean elite, the Highlanders, that, you know, they were little better than the Tigrayans who often traveled into Asmara and major, other major cities to, to work, you know, and, you know uh, menial work. 
um, in those areas. So when uh, Yesayas Avawarki, the current president of Eritrea, then took over or, or gained control over um, the Eritrean People's Liberation Front, the PLF, he saw himself as you know, the main guy in this struggle um, for independence of, of, um, of uh, Eritrea. So even if they were from their you know, 70s and increasingly 1980s, cooperating, uh, there was a tenuous relationship between the two where Sias, in a way, looked down on, on, the, on the TPLF. And um, he thought the same when, uh, when um, after 91, when uh, Ethiopia was, when TPLF took over Ethiopia in 1993, when Eritrea was given independence, that he still would be like the, the, the big guy on the horn. Now, he didn't consider then obviously that Eritrea is a very small country compared to Ethiopia, uh, not only in terms of size and population, but also in terms of, of resources. And um, he moreover thought that the ethnic federalism that TPLF introduced through its constitution was doomed to fail and that Ethiopia would unravel like a, uh, like a kind of a Yugoslavia style. Uh, but obviously, as we saw, um, Ethiopia didn't unravel. Uh, it was held intact. It, it experienced tremendous economic growth, particularly from the early 2000s. And uh, Eritrea, on the other hand, became more and more isolated. Um, and, and that kind of, of tenuous relationship then climaxed in 1998 with the war between Ethiopia and Eritrea, which to some extent could be said to be uh, a war between the TPLF and the EPLF. So that, that old animosity was certainly part of, of, the, um, of the, the conflict. So in other words, um, this means that uh, Isaiah Zavorki has been dismayed for a long time about the success that the TPLF had in Eritrea, in, in Ethiopia, and um, he has always uh, been looking for an opportunity to get back on the TPLF. And um, although information is sporadic uh, and we we still need a more verification. There are good reasons to believe that Eritrea is actually fighting with the federal forces in Tigray, and that is really uh, could be easily seen as Yesaya's attempt to get back on his uh, former partners or, or um, slash foes. That's one of the, th the the sort of media blackout and the difficulty of knowing what's happening is one of the things I want to. Uh, get into more detail with you about. But before uh, we get there, and this is the part that I think is really going to be uh, sort of a, a recap of what we talked about the last time you were on. So I don't want to get too deep into it, but can you talk a little bit about um, the emergence of an opposition to this TPLF-dominated Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, uh, especially among, you know, the, the Tigray population is 
you know, it's, I think, the third or fourth largest ethnic group in Ethiopia. But when you get past the Oromo and Amhara populations, there's a big drop off to the next, you know, two or three uh, groups. And, and there's been a lot of opposition, particularly among the Oromo and, and to some extent among the Amhara population that uh, eventually led to this kind of widespread protest movement that uh, sparked the emergence of Abi. I wonder if you can give us sort of the, the, the short kind of uh, recap of those events and the, the emergence of Abi and the, the effort he made to kind of get away from this ethnic federalist system. Hmm. Well, the TPLF uh, and, and the, the EPRF coalition and broad, more broadly were never any Boy Scouts in any way or form. Um, it was never any democratic governance in the country. I mean, uh, election observers have repeatedly noted that elections were rigged and so on. So the TPLF and the EPRDF were, you know, very unpopular from, from the beginning. And I mean, there's been numerous um, human rights reports that talks about gross violation of human rights uh, throughout this period. Um, and, and all this kind of then culminated in, in what became the, the Oromo protest, which also spread to to the Amhara region. So basically we talk about here, uh, if, you, if you govern by force um, and coercion, you're, you're more or less doomed to, to fail in the end. I mean, it's not tenable in, 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 the long, in, the, in the long run. Another dimension here that is important to, to remember is that this historical animosity between the Amhara and, and um, the um, the Tigrayan elites. Um, the two, the other two main main northern groups, they share, uh, you know, much of their the same culture, religion, and so on. All they speak different languages. They've been the ruling elites uh, for centuries and competing with each other uh, for power. So uh, when the center of 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 politics shifted south towards um, the southern parts of the Amara region, the Showa area, and then the Likim and so on. Um, that, and then later on, the Emperor Haile Selassie. Uh, the Degrains were and certainly felt increasingly marginalized. But that backdrop of history is important now when we see uh, the, current, the current fightings. And adding to that is when the TPLF um, and its rhetoric emphasized uh, historical suppression of ethnic groups when they uh, introduced the ethnic federalist system that was supposed to um, produce equality and freedom for the many different ethnic groups. They uh, brought in a narrative where the Amhara was portrayed as the culprits of, of this centuries long uh, system of oppression. So in, in other words, what we've seen here is, is among the Amhara uh, that they are uh, been complaining how they've been labeled as oppressors and that feeds into the existing history of, of enmity between the two groups. So that's an important part to remember now, and, and it, it plays an important part um, 
by the fact that um, many of the, um, the, the, the fighting units are actually Amhara militia, Amhara special forces. And the support for the, for the war is particularly strong in the Amhara region. And I think many of them view this as, as an opportunity or, or as an occasion where they can kind of get back to um, <clears throat> this, 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 um, this portrayal of them as, as oppressors and as, as villains. So Avi emerges, kind of emerged out of these protests, especially, you know, that, that kind of started in the Oromo region. And, and he, uh, you know, very quickly kind of made peace with Eritrea and, of course, won the Nobel Prize uh, famously for uh, doing that. Um, and moved then to kind of change uh, this ethnic federalist system into something more kind of approximating a, a, a typical kind of party-based politics. So he, he announced last year that he was uh, kind of taking the EPRDF and turning it into the prosperity party, which was going to be less kind of the coalition uh, of ethnic parties and, and just a unif more of a unified political party. The TPLF quit uh, the coalition rather than be absorbed into this uh, new entity. And they, they kind of retreated into the Tigray region uh, to some extent. And, and um, you know, the, the sort of um, one of the questions that I've seen people ask and that, that I've gotten from uh, some of, you know, some people who, are, you know, sub subscribe to uh, foreign exchanges is what was the TPLF's, what, like, what's the TPLF's goal here? Is it independence? Is it uh, to get back sort of their control over Ethiopian politics? Is it something else? Do you have a sense of, uh, you know, I, I, it's it's not entirely clear to me what what they've been meaning to to achieve here yeah well um abby didn't uh end the the federalist ethnic federalists and that is still intact what he ended was the coalition as you say and then uh established um this prosperity party in december 2019 which meant that um the other ethnic parties that had existed uh, was abolished, um, and uh, <clears throat> and he was flirting then increasingly with the idea of maybe reworking the ethnic federal system. That is certainly how he's been portrayed, um, or that's how, certainly how people, many people, believe um, that's the direction he's, he's moving towards. Um, and uh, the fact that he he did all this um, was, you know, in stark contradiction with the ideology of TPLF, and of course also the way he did it. He he outmaneuvered them. Uh, he made his own alliances that uh, effectively marginalized them, and by doing all this, this tensions between him and the Prosperity Party on the one side and the TPLF then exacerbated and, and increased over the years. Obviously, the TPLF, um, I don't know what, to what extent they think that today, but you know, um, in the early days of, of you know, 
of this process of establishing the um, PP Prosperity Party and 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 going forward, they wanted to get back to where they were. They wanted to reestablish their control, which turned out to be impossible. Um, and uh, retreating to um, the region was result of increased hostile rhetoric from both sides. Uh, and uh, but it's it's actually very difficult to 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 say what do they want today. I mean, I will well today they're fighting for survival. That's that's the only thing. But um, what is also important um, to keep in mind that in Eritrea, in, in Tigray, uh, over the last few years, there has been a growing uh, movement advocating independence or, I mean, autonomy and even independence from Ethiopia. As you know, Article 39 in the Constitution allows um, uh, regions to succeed from, from the Federation. And this is particularly strong among the, the young population. There are several parties that uh, explicitly are, are having independence as their goal in their party program. So I don't think, think that the TPLF are there yet. I, it's really hard at the moment to imagine what kind of, if any, um, negotiation could be had for TP for, for the Tigray region. But I think if, if you go back to before the war, um, I think that uh, while realizing that it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to get back to their previous past of domination, they would most likely be Work, be working for a, a, a greater uh, degree of autonomy uh, while being within in the in the in the in the federation. But again, like today, things are completely different, and uh, at the moment, is is merely fighting for survival. The last time we spoke, um, the the conflict that was brewing was over. Uh, the TPLF's plan to hold a regional election. Um, there was supposed Ethiopia was supposed to have a uh, supposed to have a national uh, election this year, and uh, Abi postponed it ostensibly because of the pandemic. Uh, but the TPLF accused him, you know, very strongly of uh, kind of doing this deliberately to kind of shove through, kind of push through his political agenda and, uh, without the scrutiny of an election. Um, and so they made the decision as part of this kind of retrenchment back into the Tigray region uh, to hold their own regional election regardless of, of what uh, the Ethiopian government was planning. And of course, the, the Ethiopian government declared that this was illegitimate. And this is where things were kind of last time. The, the TPLF then went ahead with that election in early September. Um, and and that's that seems like sort of the thing that's caused the, this situation to spiral uh, kind of out of control. Uh, as we get up to, or as we kind of kind of got up to the beginning of November, um, and this report that the TPLF 
attacked uh, an Ethiopian military installation, uh, which sparked then the, the response from, from the Ethiopian government. Um, I, I, here's where I, I kind of want to ask you, how do you, uh, as somebody who's very familiar with Ethiopia, how do you get around the difficulty of getting news about Ethiopia and sort of uh, the outright kind of media blackout, communications blackout. And, uh, you know, it's, it makes it very difficult, it seems to me, uh, to kind of assess uh, whether the competing claims of the TPLF and the Ethiopian government, uh, you know, how accurate are these you know, things or how, you know, how reasonable are they? Uh, do you, do you have a, a sort of, way around that? Or are you sort of as, as frustrated as anybody else? Well, certainly frustrated. Uh, I mean, there are drips and drops coming out here and there, but, but you know, most of what, what uh, is reported is extremely difficult to, to verify. Um, actually, ironically, some of the, the, the best sources we have in terms of what's going on um, are, you know, the refugees being in Sudan and their eyewitness accounts of what they've seen and so on. But for me, it's, it's striking uh, that the Ethiopian government has been uh, so reluctant to, to, um, to show footage, to, to provide pictures of their claimed successes. You know, I lived in Ethiopia during the Ethiopian Eritrean War in 1998-2000, and I remember watching TV, and, and there was no um, lack of propagandistic uh, footage and, and news coverage of the war, um, which is different now. And, and for me, that, I don't know, it kind of speaks volumes in a way, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that um, the successes that they claim of thousands of, of, uh, of TPLF soldiers surrendering, they're taking this and that city, uh, they're parading into the cities, people are cheering them as they come in. Nothing has been uh, shown on TV. There's no footage whatsoever of that. And that makes me uh, hesitant to um, um, take this for granted, um, and obviously the um, the on the TP left side uh, they don't have the same access to to media. They have their own TV, but but uh, they are in a very different position. But it's it's striking. It's really striking that we have so little information coming out, uh, particularly from the Ethiopian government. One of the areas that, that seems where this seems to be most uh, kind of relevant to me is in terms of um, how, how do we assess where the Tigrayan, the Tigrayan population is versus where the TPLF is? How do we kind of assess the TPLF's level of support? Um, and, and, you know, I guess, you know, part of it is this sort of, uh, you get these Ethiopian claims that they've taken this town or that town or that they, you know, they've captured uh, Mekele now is the, the latest claim. Um, and I, I wonder if it's sort of, maybe you can kind of believe uh, the, the progress that they've made, but the stories kind of 
surrounding that of you know thousands of people coming over to the Ethiopian lines and uh, as you said you know stories about parades and cheering crowds and all that stuff maybe that's a bit <laughs> a bit much to take and I I guess you know I, I guess my my question is uh, is there a way to sort of figure out where the Tigrayan, Tigrayan people kind of, you know, beyond the TPLF stand in terms of this conflict and, and, and the situation? That's, that's a difficult question, but I think we have some indications um, where it stands. But, I mean, what is also important here is that um, during these these years of TPLF governance, um, and there there has been periods uh, where the popularity of the party declined. And there was, um, I think, it was in 2012 or something that you know senior TPLF members toured the rural areas to kind of. Um, feel the pulse of the people and experience kind of to their surprise that uh, many of the, the, the peasants around, uh, people in the rural areas felt that they, haven't, they hadn't really gained the benefits that they were expecting from, from, uh, from TPLF, uh, from the TPLF dominated government. So there was, there was, you know, um, some some skepticism and and some uh, kind of uh, lack of, of of trust in, in the party. They believed that you know the party had kind of abandoned them, and you know the leaders had moved to Addis and they lived there, you know, with nice cars and houses and so on. But I think uh, the election in September gives an indication. Um, the fact that TPLF, they won 100%. They won all the seats in the regional parliament is, is an indication of, of where, where they stand. Now, during this election, there were other parties that competed. Um, people, parties, like I mentioned, that have been advocating for more independence. But in this situation where the Tigrayans felt isolated, uh, you know, that where the TPLA had to retreat to the region. I think the the uh, the sentiment was that in this particular situation, the only one who could really save us that we have to rely on is the TPLF. And uh, also important to to remember that you know many of these civilians now farmers and urban dwellers uh, in Tigray they fought. For the 17 wars uh, um, uh, during the 1970s and 80s, they're still there, and they um, they look upon TPLF as you know their movement. So I think that um, there is is really a strong support among the the broader population uh, for for TPLF. Having said that, of course, the trajectory of this conflict will play a role in how sustainable that uh, will be. But I find it difficult to believe that large scores of, of people are cheering on an invading force um, that comes from Addis Ababa. I, I do not uh, think that is, is accurate. But again, uh, I should be careful uh, because again, we don't have, have um, 
have independent verification of any of this this news. So, but my my hunch and my 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 knowledge about this um, this uh, region and this area tells me that no, um, TPLF still stand stands strong among among the population. That kind of leads me into my next question. Of course, the the latest developments have been you know the Ethiopian military has moved into Mekelle. Uh, they claim that the uh, you know, they've captured the, the regional capital and, and the, their police action or whatever it is that they've described this as to, in order to avoid calling it a civil war uh, is over. Um, I, that seems premature to me, uh, especially if, as you say, the, the TPLF support uh, among the Tigrayan population is, is still strong. Uh, it seems like they're well positioned to uh, kind of shift from a campaign of defending their capital or defending territory to more of a, a, a an insurgency type of a, a campaign. Is that where you see things going on the TPLF side and on the Ethiopian government side? Um, you know, where do you see what what sort of comes next? I, I, I assume some kind of imposition of a, a temporary kind of interim regional government. Uh, they'll probably maybe restore some of the uh, federal funding that Abi withheld after the, the TPLF held the, its election in September. Um, where, where do you kind of see, you know, next steps in terms of, of the two combatants here? Well, I, I, I should, I need to be careful here because, you know, uh, we've been taken by surprise so many in the last years of what's, what's uh, the trajectory of things are moving. What I find to be interesting though, is that, you know, shortly after um, the federal government that is up, uh, declared that they had taken uh, Mekula, uh, Asmara was hit by six um, uh, missiles. Uh, I mean, the TPLF had left uh, apparently, Mekula, but they were still in the position to fire missiles into Eritrea. Um, that indicates that they still have um, the capacity to operate as a conventional force. Uh, that uh, they're not, uh, they have not transitioned in a more guerrilla style uh, uh, war, warfare mode. And then, of course, again, very difficult to verify, claims that they have taken Axum back again. Uh, I saw a claim today that they have taken, taken Wukro, which is a, a growing town just 30 miles north of, of, um, of uh, Mekele. So again, I think uh, for, for sure this conflict is not over. Uh, that's that's for sure. Whether we uh, will see uh, a transition to a guerrilla-style war, that's certainly a possibility. But I think it's uh, I think it still makes sense, or it's still reasonable to believe that uh, TPLF um, can operate as a conventional force, and uh, and that that is that is of course an important um, important part if you want to try to speculate of what kind of scenarios we, we are looking for in the next few days. But I, I think uh, we'll just have to, to wait and see um, where this uh, would be going. Assuming that the conflict continues, and it seems like it, it will, that the, the possibility then of escalation remains 
seem seemingly remains a concern. And I, I mean, both in terms of kind of spilling out of the Tigray region, we've already seen the TPLF attack the Amhara region a couple of times with uh, rocket attacks. Uh, there was the uh, report of uh, a massacre of that my cadre of 600 people or more, uh, most of them Amhara laborers, I think, uh, you know, supposedly by the TPLF. Um, again, it's one of those things that's hard to uh, assess with, uh, with the way that the, the kind of media coverage has been, uh, you know, so, uh, so spotty. Um, but there are certain, there are concerns and there have been concerns about the conflict spilling out of the Tigray region. There have also been a lot of concerns uh, about the possibility that this kind of conflict uh, against the TPLF could become uh, instead a conflict against the Tigrayan people, the, the Tigrayan people, the the sort of uh, you, you know as a as a whole. Uh, and we've seen some things like Tigrayan soldiers being pulled back from peacekeeping missions across Africa and sent to Addis Ababa for who knows what, uh, you know, that have raised concerns about human rights issues. Um, I, I want to ask you about the possibility of a more regional escalation, but let's start here. Where the, uh, how much concern should there continue to be about the possibility of escalation within Ethiopia? Oh no, I, I, I'm not sure about, um, I want to be careful to talk about escalation kind of beyond this conflict, but in, in terms of involving other groups uh, as such, but um, we, there are, are, there has been credible reports and even the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission came out and, um, and complained about rounding up of of Tigrayans in Addis Ababa and elsewhere, you mentioned um, peacekeeping forces. That has been the case. So I'm fearful that there is this kind of, of vendetta going on against ordinary Tigrayans elsewhere in the country, primarily then in, in, in the capital. Um, I mean, there's stories uh, of, you know, businesses, organizations are asked to give up names of their employees and their ethnicity. Train, uh, sorry, Tigrayans are refused from leaving the country. Um, and of course, um, again, you mentioned my cadre. I'm afraid that we are going to hear many more of such horrible stories of um, intercommunal violence, atrocities committed, uh, and, and there's no doubt that this conflict is going to uh, have impact uh, for, for a generation to come. The kind of, of animosity between particularly then the Amhara and the Tigrayans is going to be even, even worse than it, than it has been. So uh, this is going to, to leave behind some, some horrible wounds that will take a uh, long time to heal. And in terms of, of uh, in other parts of the country, 
there uh, has been reports of intercommunal violence in going on for some time in, in the western part of Benishangul. Recently, there was uh, incidents of violence in the area of Konso in the southwest, where actually reports were that over 90,000 internally displaced come out as a result of that region, which is like almost double or more than double that we have already of, of um, people fleeing into the Sudan. So um, uh, one can assume that the fact that security forces, federal army have moved out from many of the other regions could uh, create space then for more protests um, uh, and, and resistance and, and internal violence. I think definitely that's, um, that's a scenario that we should be, be, be watching. But when I speak to friends and my informants across Ormia, uh, there is this incredibly, it seems, what they're saying, uh, um, a, re a regime of fear that, and a heavy presence of Oromo, Oromia special forces that are, uh, I wouldn't maybe use the word terrorizing the, the population, but certainly have created um, uh, a sense of, of fear that people are very reluctant to, to uh, at the moment, go out openly and, and protest. And when I talk to people um, via phone and so on, uh, it really, what they describe really reminds me of the situation where I lived in Ethiopia in the 2000s, where, you know, you had an incredibly well-established network of informants uh, where um, the, the, the coercive uh, mode of government was really the, the case. Uh, and this seems to be more or less re-established, particularly uh, in the Oromia region. But again, um, if, if things unravel, this conflict goes on, if the center is weakened, um, then certainly there is a potential for escalation of more local conflicts, uh, of, of increasing protest against um, the federal government. But again, like I I said, we've been so much surprised over the last five, six years um, that I, I would be very hesitant to, to kind of predict um, any particular you know, direction might, might move in. It, there are so many um, uncertainty moving targets uh, that um, that is hard to predict. But I think, you know, everything is up for grab more or less in terms of possibilities or, or, or scenarios. Um, uh, building on that, then, I mean, we've we've already talked about the the role that the Eritrean military may be playing in this conflict. Certainly, there have been reports from refugees, kind of eyewitness reports, that strongly suggest the Eritrean military has been involved in some attacks against the TPLF. Uh, the presence of tens of thousands of refugees now in Sudan certainly puts a burden on a country that really can't is in no position to kind of take on. Uh, that burden. Uh, is there a risk of a more regional widening as well, or do you, do you think that this will remain relatively contained uh, inside Ethiopia? 
No, I, I think that there's certainly a potential. And there was a, a very good piece that came out in, I think it was foreign policy some, some weeks ago about the role that Sudan may play, what what side they eventually would, would, um, would, would end up on. Uh, so far, the Sudanese have not uh, taken any explicit part or, or, or expressed particular support for any of the parties, but I think Sudan uh, is important here. And by extension, then we have Egypt and the controversy is over the, the big dam, the GERD, um, is still there. Uh, Sisi made a visit to South Sudan. What does that mean? Um, we don't know. Uh, and then you have Somali with his own problem and so on. Um, but, uh, but certainly at the moment, uh, it seems to be Eritrea, which is the, 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 the foreign actor that is, is playing a role in the war. Um, but again, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult to, to predict what direction, but I, I, I'm certainly, uh, I'm, I'm convinced, of course, that this, this might have uh, implications for, for the regions. But what, that, that's just uh, too soon to, to say, I believe. I want to leave it there, I think, uh, but you have a book uh, that was on its way to being published the last time we talked, Islam, Ethnicity, and Conflict in Ethiopia, that I believe uh, is now published. Do you want to uh, tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, that uh, that book is published uh, at, uh, through uh, Cambridge University Press. Um, it's available on Amazon, of course, and... Uh, their own website. Um, it is it, it is about uh, an insurgency in Bala in the 1960s, but arguably uh, the fact that it deals with ethnicity and conflict and religion makes I believe uh, it has uh, some uh, very uh, have a high relevance of what we what we see today and. Um, even if we talk about, you know, uh, different elites, different levels of governance, federal regional governments, we talk about what Abi calls a law enforcement operation. Um, the ethnic dimensions of this is, is just right in your face. So uh, in order to understand uh, the ongoing conflict, Conflict beyond the, the military movements, uh, the ethno-political aspect of it is, is imperative in order to get the full picture of, of what, uh, what is at stake. So um, fortunately, the book is a little expensive, but um, it's, it's worth reading, I believe. So um, uh, it's, like I said, available on, on Cambridge University Press and Amazon, so uh, ready to be ordered. Well, all right. I will. Uh, we'll have a link to the book uh, in the show description for people who want to check that out. Um, Terry Ostebo, again, yeah. thank you uh, very much for coming on the program and uh, taking us through what is admittedly still a very uncertain situation. Uh, but I think you've helped shed uh, a good deal of light on it for people. Well, thank you so much for uh, for having me.
Once again, I want to thank Terry Ostabo of the University of Florida for coming on the program uh, to help us understand a little better uh, the conflict in the Tigray region uh, of Ethiopia. Uh, his book, again, is Islam, Ethnicity, and Conflict in Ethiopia. It's available now. Uh, I'll have a link in the show description. Uh, and um, as always, I want to thank all of you guys for checking out the podcast. And again, remember to check us out at fx.substack.com. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, until next time, as always, thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.